Malcolm Honline is back in this country. He is the vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Last week, and this is a theme that I've been repeating over and over and over, I feel it's important to really pound it into the heads and minds and hearts of listeners of all ages. While we were distressing in this area of the world over a day of hate last Friday and last Shabbos, we've gotten stark reminders that our brothers and sisters in Israel are surrounded by a day of hate every single day. And Malcolm, I'd like your reaction to that observation. Well, uh, I mean, it raises a, a couple points. Number one, what Israel faces every day that the world doesn't appreciate and simply keeps tabs on the number of people who are killed uh, always trying to show the imbalance when they never mention that 90% plus of those who are killed, aside from a few uh, of the, what you call collateral damage, it's unfortunate, but uh, people who, who get caught in the, in the midst of a, an exchange, uh, the, the, the victims are, ta- are, are, are terrorists. And people who are plotting events, who carried out attacks, barbaric attacks like the one against Elon who, by the way, did not just go for a year in Israel. He, he enlisted in the IDF. He became a sergeant, he returned to go to college here, and went to was visiting Israel to attend the wedding when he was um, brutally killed, as were many others. When you think of the two sets of two brothers, one five and eight years old, or six years, seven years old, and the other, the two young guys in their early 20s from um, in Yeshiva Tezner, and the, the, the barbaric nature was just drive up and kill people uh, at random is, uh, you know, is of, of such a severity. And yet you see nothing condemning it. You see though, you don't see the kind of reaction, but warnings against Israel always even handed <clears throat> at best that both sides should, should stop the cycle of violence. When Israel is not engaged in a cycle of violence and responding to often organized, although usually described as lone wolves, they are hardly lone wolves. They're incited. They're part of, of a system of hate that starts in the educational system, in their textbooks, in their parents' declarations of support for their kids dying as, as martyrs, and this tape of a, of a mother saying that the son came to her the day before, and she said, you think it's easy to be a martyr, and she instructs him, and then praises the fact that, that she lost the son. It tells you how sick this is and how, how horrific and extremist uh, the influences are in Palestinian society, the ineffectiveness of the Palestinian forces and the lack of coordination with Israel, which is now somewhat resumed after the meeting in Aqaba. Here, we are seeing a sharp rise of anti-Semitic attacks. It, it, uh, people have died, as we know, from Pittsburgh and Poway and elsewhere. But the, the uh, nature of the attack, it's not, uh, it, it, it's not of the same kind that Israel faces with state sponsors, with Iran and PA and others joining behind these attacks. And we can update some of the new situations that Israel faces on its northern border, southern border. We have to do much more to get prosecutions to make sure that the war on terrorism, and I spoke this week at a major conference in Israel, and I said, you know, we're spending into the nine figures in the United States on this, and we're losing the war. We have not won the war against Jew hatred. 
and we see the more widespread adaptation of, of many of the memes, the themes, the use of the internet, the radicalization of populations, left, extreme left, and extreme right, right now more from the right, they say. But the, the event, uh, the, the day of hate, I don't think was ever intended to really put people on the street. I think it was meant to intimidate, to evoke the reaction that it did. Rightfully, we should take every threat seriously. But they were able to show how panicked the community became, how, how uh, it could arouse this kind of, of response and fear in the community. Yeah, well, I, I, it was effective. If that was the goal, it was effective because I, just in my small circle, know of people who avoided synagogue and had their children avoid synagogue because of last week. Remember a time, Malcolm, when it would be just the opposite? When, when, when rumors like this would be spread around, obviously not at the speed of today, but rumors like this would spread around and people with Dafka make sure to go to shul and people with Dafka specifically make sure to take their kids with them and explain to their children the statement that they're making. It's, it's unfathomable to me that we've gotten to a point where people will keep their kids home from synagogue specifically for this reason, for this rumor that was flying around. And that people take off a yarmulke and don't, don't practice and don't go to places uh, throughout the year. That children didn't go, I can understand. That adults didn't go, I don't understand. Because that's giving in to the threats and to the intimidation. Every shul should have security measures. Every Shabbos, not just for that. And every day. And we should, you know, how many years have I argued this on, on the show? And we created SCAN, we've created other groups, CSS, all these things that are now, I think it's the most, the, the one area where we've really advanced our activities the most and most effectively is that we have much more security and much more consciousness of security, uh, but much more needs to be done to assure that people have confidence and go to shuls. A rabbi should be speaking about it. It's not to be irresponsible and it's not to say that we dismiss it, but if you give into it, if you cower to it, you only encourage it. Yeah. And I think the, you know, it's time for us to say we're going to declare war on all Jew haters and Jew hatred. We're not going to allow judges and, and courts to dismiss when uh, people who engage in hateful acts against the Jewish community. We have to hold everyone to account. And that means on the legislative level. That means on the, on the actual judicial level. We have to do it when it comes to public figures engaging it. Why, why can LVMH hire Bella Haddad as their spokeswoman? for products which many Jewish women buy and many other people who, who would reject anti-Semitism uh, purchase. And yet they have, they put up a billboard of her in, in LA. There's no consequence for them. There has to be every one of these issues. That's why the war on Ben and Jerry's was so important against Morningstar, yeah. against all these things. How about this one? How about that? And I know I'm skipping around because we got to get to the protests and some of the things that people really want to know about in terms of what's happening in Israel. But how, how about this one? How about when there's proof that Iranians are poisoning young girls to make sure they don't go to school and literally are putting them in a, in a, compre in a uh, compromising health situation? Maybe there we can get a condemnation from the UN. I, I know that it's important when, you know, people in Israel are, are going ahead and expressing their frustration about these, you know, random murders that are taking our brothers and sisters. But how about when we know when there's government-supported and government-sponsored poisoning of young kids, maybe we can get a U.N. condemnation? Well, first of all, it's a horrific thing that, that's happening. And the, uh, you know, the government, of course, has responded that they test, they don't, they're looking for it, they're, they don't know how it happened. Everybody, they know very well, nothing like that happens in, in Iran without uh, some official involvement or knowledge. 
the, the but it tells you how horrendous the society is you know the rape and torture of people who have been arrested and the public ec- declarations of this that as a threat against those who participate in the demonstrations in Iran and the 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 fact still is that there's only one country that you know a, a country in the UN that calls for the destruction of another country at no price that it can get away constantly at the Human Rights Council and elsewhere with its its violations, fundamental violations of human rights. The fact that 15,000 people sit in, in prisons and, and many facing execution for simply expressing their views and, and being part of the demonstrations. Where's the an outcry from, from the Europeans and others? I understand that they don't want to confront them on the on the military level and on the, I mean, I don't understand it because it's, it's now when you're enriching at 84%, which is 6% less than weapons grade, but really within reach and a matter of, as was declared yesterday when they started JCPOA, it was 12 years so they could do it. Now they say it's 12 days. Gosh. I mean, what, all the things we warned about. And now suddenly we, they're we, gathering in Washington to discuss it. <laughs> and, and now, right, we have to, all the cows have left the barn. Right. Now all of a sudden we're discussing how come they found particles. And, and each time Iran comes with an excuse, we've, we've found these things, the IEA, uh, International Atomic Energy Agency discovered all these things. They prevented their inspectors from going in. Clear violation. They they are uh, moving ahead. Let alone their activities with with Russia in in the Ukraine, supporting the war, providing drones, all of their nefarious activities in in the region. And yet, it, because it's a, a primarily targeting a Jewish state, although the UAE and Saudi Arabia and all of them have bore the brunt of of their attacks as well. We don't see this kind of of, of response and, and organized effort to to address the, the most horrific regime on earth today. Perhaps yeah. it's not rational. Uh, let's talk about the, the. We'll start with the protests in Tel Aviv. There were complaints that water cannons, stun grenades, were being used against the protesters. I, I don't know what you do or don't know about the situation with Sarah Netanyahu. Did you feel the response by officials who were trying to you know, disperse crowds and get some order for what was going on there was unreasonable? Well, you have to know what they were doing to understand why, whether it was reasonable or not reasonable. When you take the incident of Sarah Netanyahu, that was outrageous. And I don't care whether you like her or dislike her or support Netanyahu or don't support Netanyahu, that she was in a, in a store, you know, a hairdresser or whatever, and to storm place and hold her under siege for hours is is really unacceptable it's not a, a legitimate expression of 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 condemnation for whatever move or whatever thing that the the government does and uh, I, I don't know whether the police who seem to have been handling everything very well till now they, you know when you have hundreds of thousands of people over weeks participating and i'm sure many of the weeks it was the same people who came out um, but they were peaceful there were hardly any manifestations or arrests uh, during the demonstrations, something that we all pointed to and said, you know, if other people gathered in America, you'd have looting, you'd have damage, you'd have many terrible things, which didn't happen until some of the demonstrations this week, which seemed to be getting out of hand. And and the police then uh, responded from the videos I saw, it did not seem that it was excessive. Uh, and uh, But it, it's hard to judge that unless you're on the scene and you see all of the what both sides and and what provocations 
uh, were. But, you know, Israel has been very tolerant of the demonstrations. It's part of what democracy demands, that people be allowed to express their views and and. and responsible ways. And they demonstrated in many cities, they blocked the streets, the police allowed them to do it. Uh, not something that in many countries and, and places they, they would be permitted to do. Uh, so it's a very complicated thing, but I have to tell you, I'm very disturbed from what I saw about the rising tensions within society, the, uh, you know, the divisions, the deep divisions that exist. It's something that has been the one challenge to us throughout our history that um, did us the most damage. It wasn't the external enemies, it's internal disunity, and especially coming on, on Purim, up to Purim, where we saw that the antidote to Haman and to all of his evil co-plotters was Esther's declaration, Lech Kenos has Yudim, go and gather all the Jews. She didn't say those in West or East Yushan, she said all of the Jews, because that's the way we respond to the challenges. And when people are pitted against one another, like this, and when you see provocations and all signs that um, give excuses for people then to, to keep raising the anti and the, the public threats, the declarations of boycotts and all sorts of things, they have to think of the long-term consequences, that the world is watching every word of this, and the enemies of Israel pick up all of these declarations and will exploit them. I think there has to be far greater sensitivity, far greater efforts to, to try to resolve these issues, and it can't be done by either side bulldozing their views, but by some sort of effort to, to negotiate. And if those, those who do not are willing to participate should be held to public account. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSingle.com, on the NahumSingle Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. And by the way, while the Prime Minister's wife was getting her hair done. It's a good time to compare uh, countries because what happens to a woman who exposes her hair in Iran? She certainly gets a haircut, that's for sure. Yeah, but, uh... yeah. And, and, and a whole bunch of other punishments. And by the way, one of the methods of protest now in Iran is for women to walk around with their hair exposed. I'm not endorsing... And to cut their hair publicly right. and to do other things as a, as a pointed demonstration. And many people ask me about this because, you know, it looks like the demonstrations have stopped. They have not. But they're getting less coverage, and they aren't as manifest right now as they were. Um, there is intimidation. There is greater police crackdown. But the demonstrations continue often at night, so they don't get the coverage but it can occur in many cities at the same time, and the the intention and the determination. You know, Iran. Uh, I think a couple of weeks ago when we talked, I told you that the real had gone to five hundred thousand plus per dollar. This week it went over six hundred thousand. So their currency is worth nothing. They can't get basics. Their drought is killing them. So the internal situation is has so deteriorated, and the the causes for their initial demonstrations have been augmented, not diminished. And the, the fact that the, the West doesn't take advantage of, of this situation and supporting the people who are demonstrating, showing them more vocal support and more uh, practical support with um, funds for food, for basic things. I'm talking about weapons. We're talking about taking advantage of this moment in time when an Iranian regime, then whenever they have heightened domestic crises, they always turn to be more aggressive abroad. Well, in part, we see that. In, in Ukraine, where they, but that's par primarily for financial reasons, that they're selling stuff and building a drone factory in Russia and, and enhancing their relationship because it, it helps break their isolation with China, with Russia primarily. 
that Iran, which is um, you know being hit by sanctions over and over again, the fact is they get an outlet when when they can bypass some of it. And by the way, I just want to tell you that the Russians are are recruiting Palestinians to fight in the Ukraine, and there are units being formed to to um, participate. Uh, in in the uh, Ukrainian in, in the conflict, also from uh, uh, also from Lebanon, um, uh, where we're seeing other activities, which I hope we can talk about. Pay, pay, the, paying them or recruiting them, looking for volunteers. Paying them, absolutely. It's it's a question of, of paying them. And they pay much more than what they may make uh, otherwise. It uh, they're recruiting them in in, um, in Lebanon. So they give them, I think, between three hundred and fifty dollars a month and more to to join the conflict. And many of them are unemployed. Uh, by the way, they're they're doing it amongst Fatah members, which is you know led by Abbas. And uh, so far, they say three hundred have completed the rapid training program, which means that Russia is sending them out there to be fodder for the fire that um, uh, that they're, they're involved in, and. The, the, we know that the Wagner Group even has recruited Palestinian fighters uh, from the uh, near the, um, the Latakia Air Base, the uh, uh, what's it called, the Khamenei Air Base in uh, in Syria. So we know that regular Syrian military units, which were supervised by Russia, uh, are being paid five to seven hundred dollars a month to go into the Ukrainian war zone. So, and as and this all while Hezbollah is recruiting uh, some of their supporters to help Russia in in Ukraine. Again, not something the New York Times bothers to put on the front <laughs> page, which should be a major story and and does not get coverage. Well, the only benefit may be they'll concentrate less on uh, killing Israelis if they're going to go and uh, and fight for the Russians. All right, we got to talk about the quote unquote revenge attacks. This is how the media portrays it: revenge attacks after these brutal murders uh, that you described of the brothers in both situations of Elon Ganellis, the American citizen from Connecticut. First of all, I don't know what to believe. You know, there are people who are contacting me and saying that the money that's being raised to support uh, the Arabs that have been the target of these uh, uh, car and home burnings, uh, the money's being raised by Israelis. I really don't know if that's true or not. Maybe you could address that. I'm getting uh, I'm getting uh, contact from people who are claiming that these scenes of destruction that we're saying that are being attributed to the revenge attacks are really like uh, junkyards that have been burnt out, you know, weeks ago or months ago, and now these images are are being distributed uh, with the impression that they have been, uh, you know, attacked by Israelis, and then um, and then the protests in Tel Aviv that we just discussed, obviously not the revenge. Uh, uh, attack uh, topic, but just the the protests that are going on. Uh, people are telling me that it's a whole media creation. That you know, there's a couple of thousand people that are hitting the streets, and most other Televivians couldn't care less what's going on. So, how do you know how to decipher what to believe, Malcolm? It is one of the challenges uh, of the day. Um, look, there are aerial photos showing the demonstrations. They are quite large, and it's not a couple thousand people. Clearly, it could be the same people. And the question I have is who's paying for all of this? Where is the money coming from? Is there foreign involvement? Is there, are there is an organized effort because these demonstrations are expensive, you know, the, even mobilizing on an ongoing basis week after week. Uh, it, there is a, a degree of spontaneity. They issue a call and there are demonstrations. Uh, it does take a lot of money to do the ones in Jerusalem and when a small 
groups gather all over the country. Uh, but and clearly, the media wants to exploit it and uh, is using this a- against uh, the government, which they don't su- largely don't support because most of the media is left oriented. Uh, but I, 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 there clearly is broad sentiment even though I think that there's a lack of understanding. And the reason I don't go into the details of it, because I don't understand it. And I've heard lectures about it and went to sessions discussing it. And I, but I know that the Labor Party wanted to do reforms to the, to the judicial system, that almost every government wanted to do judicial uh, reforms, that there is a general consensus that there's been an overreach by the Supreme Court <clears throat> over many years leading to the current circumstance. I can't say that the government has handled this in terms of PR in the best way or prepared the population or has addressed, you know, the people to, to reaffirm that this is not an attack on democracy, which was the initial theme that we heard, uh, when in fact there's no stronger democracy than Israel where people can just go out and demonstrate week after week and make their voices heard. And then it translates into uh, a government that was elected and a Knesset that was elected uh, as opposed to the Supreme Court, which is not elected, the um, uh, but but I think that this this the, the feeling is that this is being bulldozed through that they didn't have the kind of discussion and preparation, and for a government that has many good communicators, I don't have a sense that they have been able to do this effectively. I heard very brilliant expositions by um, Ron Dermer and others on it. But it's not. I don't think it's a message that is commute, was communicated, so that you prepare the groundwork for this and you try to build a consensus on it. Uh, I'm sure that there were reasons uh, for it, but uh, <clears throat> it's a very complicated issue. You know, I've heard legal experts on both sides uh, arguing uh, the implications. But to me, the great my great fear is both the internal damage. And the, and the economic implications are keep, very great. I, I mean, I, I said this last week. I keep thinking is that as they inevitably head more and more closer to compromise, hopefully that will stabilize things. Hopefully that will bring some peace. Or do you not have faith that that could lead to a more peaceful situation? Well, not everybody who's making these threats, businesses and others, most of them have, many of them have their money abroad anyway. Many of them have made these threats before years ago. Uh, and on the other hand, there are, uh, I know of cases of people who uh, have told me that they are going to move part of their operations abroad because they don't feel secure. The shekel obviously is reflecting uh, some of this, although generally inflation is impacting everybody. And um, but, don't but you... I, I do think this can all be uh, corrected. If, if uh, there will be scars from all of this, maybe it, it will vitalize Israeli democracy, get people to participate. You know, one can point to that and say. How many countries in the world allow this and and have people so involved in in a, in a question like this? There are people who cannot accept the results of the election and will use this uh, to to try and undo what happened at the ballot box? But do you think we're on our way to compromise? Like, are you hopeful that we really will get to at least uh, at least compromise on paper, even if there will be ill will and some you know and some <laughs> and some collateral damage that's that's going to need to be addressed? The people have to demand that they have to show that there will be a cost if the opposition or the government doesn't move to resolve this issue, that as the costs become more and more apparent and the fact that the United States government, you know, gets involved in other governments in the U.N. and, and you know, I mean, getting involved in a domestic issue, it's it's really well, uh, rare, rare and 
um, you know, everybody could say, well, we're so close to Israel, you know, we're close to it. It's like a family of dug up bull. They, they don't right. stand up that way when, when uh, other things involving Israel from a foreign perspective uh, arise and not so quick to, to join in declarations. By the way, it doesn't stop the uh, amazing cooperation that's going on between Israel, the United States on the security areas and with um, with others, you know, the U.S. and Israel signed another security supply deal uh, to this week. It's just it's really remarkable to see the extent of it uh, and well, uh, and so he, far not impact even the the accords. Although yeah. one leader in the Arab world said to me that he was concerned about the stability of Israel. I got to get back That's, to the revenge attacks in a second, but I mean, look, I mean, if they're really that close to weaponization, as you just described, and we're watching Iranian warships come to South America, you can imagine that the United States has no choice now but to be as cooperative as possible with Israel. Someone's going to have to step in and stop these guys eventually. Well, we also have to see why John Kerry was in Venezuela while warships are coming. No way. Iranian warships in Venezuela, coming to the coast of Venezuela. Why, oh what What discussions, when we talk about buying oil from Venezuela, do we not get the message that this is a, a, a proxy of Iran? And um, South America is, is a, a, you know, a parsha of its own, and we, we should address it, especially this week. It's an important parsha. And by the way, so the good news that you saw that in Israel they found for the first time a uh, 2,500-year-old um, inscription on a, a shard with the name of Darius. Amazing. Who was the father of King Achashverosh? Sure, <laughs> I always love when they first hold... time ever finding it in writing. I... And it was in Lachish, which was a center of per... during the Persian Empire as the rule in. in you, you know what I'm about to say, but I always love when they hold these announcements until Purim time, and they, and they hold the, the Maccabee material until Hanukkah time. That's never, <laughs> never. They just found it. What are you talking about? But that's amazing. That really is amazing, frankly, uh, as we continue to watch our history come alive. I got to go back to the revenge attacks for a second. I mean, can we assume that the images were, in fact, authentic, uh, that, in fact, Israelis did do damage um, to property, homes, and cars, of Arabs, and it, by the same token, did you hear this rumor that the major fundraising campaign for these Arab villagers to help them recover financially were co was coordinated by Israelis? Well, that wouldn't surprise me at all. That uh, Israelis were outraged by it, and if you saw the images on Israeli television, uh, and of course got coverage all over the world, it, it is outrageous. It should not happen. You can't let people take the law in their hands in any circumstance. I understand the outrage and I understand how people feel, but that does not justify uh, ever taking the law into your own hands in that kind of a way. Sometimes if your house is under siege, you kill the person coming. That's legitimate self-defense. And uh, to stop, uh, you know, even, even uh, we're told in the Torah that you can stop somebody who's coming to kill you. Uh, but the, um, uh, but that the Israelis uh, would be raising money to to help rebuild in, in Harara, I think, is true because I've seen some of the appeals myself. Um, uh, but that, you know, that's a humanitarian response, humanitarian in quote, um, and the response images? to to the images and the things that they saw. How much of it is true? What was done before? What was done after? That's a job of people who were there and the people who covered it and the people, the police, to, to put into context. There was none. This was thing was condemned immediately by everybody, as it, sh as it should be. 
but we don't have you know a detailed picture of, of what was and what wasn't uh, destroyed at that time. Whatever it looked terrible, right. and it was wrong. Uh, Erdogan must be very confident if he's not using the earthquake as an excuse to postpone the Turkish elections. Very surprising because most people predicted that he would. Uh, you know, about twenty percent of the country probably is going to be able to to or be limited in their ability to participate. But I think he felt that maybe waiting, things would get worse, not better for him. And that uh, moving it to uh, uh, going ahead on May 14th with the election, which went against almost every expert's prediction that I know. Um, I don't know if it's a statement of confidence or that he will be able to do more <clears throat> while, you know, all of the attention is focused on the uh, earthquake to mobilize his people and to to try to assure victory it's not at all assured that in a free and open election that erdogan would win again quite the opposite polls show he wasn't although there hasn't been this kind of single uh figure who could challenge him like the mayor of istanbul the mayor of of, of um ankara one i'm already announced he's not going to run um uh, did in the past uh, you alluded earlier to activity or updates on both the northern and southern border. Can you do a minute on both, please? So we're seeing a lot more activity uh, on the northern border. Hezbollah has organized Syrian citizens um, and formed dozens of cells on the Syrian border in cooperation with both the, um, Iran and, and Syria in Syria. They want to create a front on, on terrorism. They use the Syrian outposts. They, they're, these are Sunni and Druze operatives, most of them doing it because they're getting paid uh, from it. But it goes uh, all across the border down to the triangle of the borders of Israel, uh, Jordan and Syria. Uh, and the, uh, many of these troops have been already deployed. And as I said, that we're seeing um, uh, other groups that are active in, in, uh, in Syria, in, in, in the uh, Syrian area. Um, Iran, <clears throat> Russia, I'm sorry, has withdrawn some of its troops and they're replacing them in, often in many cases by these kind of Hezbollah operatives with the backing of of Iran. So this is, uh, there's, there's no diminution of the threat in uh, both places. You know, Lebanon is in total collapse. The economy, uh, the, their currency is almost worthless. It's, um, you know, and that always is a breeding ground for extremists and people and why Russia can recruit in, in Lebanon people to come and fight, fight in the Ukraine because, you know, they're offering them money. The, uh, <clears throat> in the South, we saw the uh, rocket uh, fire and Israel's response. It's been relatively quiet, but it doesn't mean that they're not organizing and that the stockpiling of, of missiles and weapons doesn't continue. Uh, Hamas, um, is sees opportunities whenever there's instability in Israel or in the region. So the the fronts and and of course on the Jordanian front we see Jordan um, less cooperative um, and you know, more vocal in its criticisms uh, of Israel. Uh, this is you know it's Israel made an all-out effort. The meeting at Aqaba was um, successful to some degree in the fact that you have Palestinian-Israeli cooperation renewed and. You know, they, they walked out of the meeting, uh, at least, uh, well, still being critical but, but of Israel, but they were, but there were, the fact that they all sat together and, and started to, to um, 
to address some of the concerns together is important. It, it wasn't, I think, the breakthrough that some people uh, were hoping for, but it was a step in the right direction. Uh, I hate to wrap up our conversation like this, Malcolm, but I'm sure after I read this, you'll say to me that uh, it's better the truth is exposed than anything else. The Darius inscription discovered at the site of the biblical city of Lachish last December and revealed to the public Wednesday is not authentic, according to the Israel Antiquities Authority. They made this announcement today. Uh, apparently, somebody who was giving a tour uh, was showing their students an example of how um, uh, of what it looked like when there was writing on a shard of pottery, demonstrating to the students and illustrating how pottery was inscribed in ancient times. So unfortunately, that goes as a fake. But hey, it's a Purim prank. It's one of those uh, vinahapohus. What's the difference if it's real or not? It's a good story. <laughs> it's certain. And, and the fact that Darius, I mean, they had to be pretty good to be able to take the uh, course. This went under scrutiny for several months. And, yes, and there were December. reports, there were some people who doubted the authenticity of it, but they put out a release. The, the uh, Israel Antiquities Authority put out a statement this week about it. Well, they have a, so, new, they have a new release today. <laughs> they, they have a new story. And, and again, though, everybody will say this is part of an Israeli plot to try and claim the, the heritage. And, and uh, we go back further than that. There have been other things discovered, which we'll talk about maybe in the coming weeks, which uh, predate, actually, the, the Darius period talking about the development of Hebrew, um, finding uh, probably predating now the existence of Hebrew by a thousand years. We'll talk about that another time. Uh, next week, I'm not 100% sure about my schedule. I'll let you know and let the listeners know uh, after Purim, please God. Thank you so much, Malcolm. It's Shabbos Zohar. Have a wonderful pre-Purim Shabbos and a wonderful holiday of Purim. Well, you, the question is whether you'll be sober by Friday, right? <laughs> some, <laughs> might anyway, some might suspect a, that that's the issue, but we'll see. Have, a, have a great Shabbos and a great uh, thing. And I want to give again a Mazel Tov to Leia Honline and Avrami Garden House because they've worked this, this Sunday. They've got engaged and should only have simple. Oh, what are you serving? I may come over. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Purim. And yes, it's only a scheduling problem. Malcolm's alluding to the fact that it could be a... Uh, a, a drinking situation? No, 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 no. God forbid. Just not 100% sure about the, about the second half of next week and our schedule here at JM in the AM.